continuing the series on the laying on of hands, and we're looking at uh, the specific topic of the laying on of hands of what is the laying on of hands and what is it all about. Um, and our text scripture that we always open up when we deal with this particular subject is in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 1 and reading verse 2 as well. And we'll just read that scripture and then we'll comment on it. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, and of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And in this particular portion of Scripture, the Bible reveals to us that there are six foundational doctrines to the, uh, the Christian walk. And... Um, because they are foundational doctrines. These are doctrines that every born-again believer should have full understanding of. In other words, uh, they should be able to uh, identify exactly what these doctrines are all about so that if they come across anything in their walk that is contrary to what is taught in these six doctrines, um, they can very quickly understand that those doctrines and that teaching that they're listening to is not of God. Um, because it's very important that our foundations are set correctly. And uh, the six foundation doctrines mentioned to us in this portion of Scripture is repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we're dealing with this particular doctrine called laying on of hands in um, this section. And we've had a look at a few things up until this point in time. We've had a look at our Lord Jesus Christ as being the example to us in the ministry of laying on of hands, for that's what it is, it's a ministry. Um, and we've had a look at um, specific aspects as to how this particular ministry operates through the uh, life of the believer. And there's a couple of points that we want to look at today um, to just wrap up this particular section of what is the laying on of hands, what is it all about, and how does it affect us as believers. And um, the first section we really want to touch on today is the fact that the, there is a transference of anointing that takes place through the laying on of hands. In fact, that's really what it, it, it's, it's really all about, is this, this transference of anointing that takes place uh, when one lays hands of, on another individual. And that anointing is obviously the anointing of the Holy Spirit that resides within us, the power of God that resides within us. And that power is transmitted and transferred to the individual that we lay hands on. And that's really what uh, the laying of hands is all about. But let's have a look at a couple of scriptures along this line, and then we'll comment, comment on them. And uh, the first scripture we want to look at is in Acts chapter 2. And then the second scripture we want to look at is in Acts chapter 8. And Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, the scripture says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then the next portion of Scripture we want to look at is in Acts chapter 8. 
and we're going to pick up in uh, from verse 14 we're going to read and the scripture says now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God they sent Peter and John to them who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for as yet he had fallen upon none of them they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so we've seen up to now that very often the impartation of, of the power of God takes place through physical contact. And uh, thus we have the, the doctrine of laying on of hands. Our Lord Jesus taught us those who believe shall lay their hands on the sick and that the sick would recover. And so our Lord demonstrated in his own ministry that he laid hands on people. And when he did, the power of God transferred through his hands into their bodies and affected the healing in their bodies. And so it was normally through uh, a point of physical contact that the transference of the anointing, the transference of God's power takes place. But that's not always the case. We had a look now in Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 on the day of Pentecost. This was when the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place in the church and that was on the feast of Pentecost. It was 50 days after our Lord had uh, died and, and rose again. And uh, he had then appeared to the uh, disciples over a period of 40 days. And then he was taken up into heaven. And after that period of 10 days, um, this event occurs, which was when the Holy Spirit was poured out for the very first time on the body of Christ. And we see that in this particular instance over here, there was no laying of hands that took place. There was no physical contact that took place whereby the disciples received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But our Lord Jesus Christ himself received the promise from the Father. Uh, he received the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he poured out the Holy Spirit directly on his disciples from heaven. And so they received the transference of, of the anointing into their physical bodies, for that's where the Holy Spirit was residing. And that power came upon them and in them and filled them with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so it is not always the case where transference of God's power takes place through physical contact, because as we just read this, this account, um, there was no physical contact that took place. And these disciples, all of them, 120 in, in total, we, uh, we, we, we assume based on the fact that there were 120 in the upper room who were praying a few days before, uh, were filled with the Holy Spirit on this particular occasion. Uh, there was another occasion also, and that was when the Gentiles were first filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, Peter was preaching the gospel, and while he was preaching, they believed, and God the Father poured out the Holy Spirit on them while Peter was still preaching, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And again, there was no physical contact that took place there, but that transference of the anointing, the, the power of God came upon them, filled them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and there was no physical contact. However, in the second account that we had a look at in Acts chapter 8, there is physical contact that takes place for the same gifting to be manifested. Uh, because in Acts chapter 2, two they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In Acts chapter 8, the, these disciples are also being filled with the Holy Spirit. But this time it's different. Now they're being filled with the Holy Spirit 
through the laying on of the apostles' hands, specifically the apostle Peter and the apostle John in this, in this instance. And so we see that there is a transference of anointing that takes place through the laying on of hands. And that is one of the methods that God uses in order to impart his power. It's not the only method that the Lord uses, but it is certainly one of the methods that our Lord uses in order to transfer his power from one individual to another. And he does that through what the Bible terms as the laying on of hands. It's not only uh, the saints that use this method of transferring God's power to another individual. Um, angels also use this method to transfer the power that resides within them into other individuals. And let's have a look at a couple of scriptures along that line so we can see that it is also um, the way that angelic beings operate as well. They too use the laying on of hands in order to impart the power that, they, that resides within each one of them. And don't forget, uh, when we lay hands on individuals, it is not our power that we're imparting to other individuals. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God's power that resides within us that we are transferring in being used as vessels to transfer his anointing into their bodies. Um, the first scripture we'll have a look at is in Luke chapter 22. And then the second scripture we will have a look at is in Daniel chapter 10. And both of these accounts are accounts of angels laying hands on individuals so that those individuals can receive from God. And uh, the first account is in Luke chapter 22 in verse 43. And the scripture says, Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And so here we have an account of our Lord Jesus. This is when our Lord Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is praying just before he goes to the cross. And uh, he's going through an absolutely horrid time. Um, he, is, he is being faced with taking upon himself the sin of the world. Uh, it is a, a, a horrible event for one who has never known any sin through all eternity to now be faced with taking upon himself every single sin of the world from the creation of man until that time and until the end of the age um, Jesus has taken took upon himself he who knew no sin was made to be sin that we might be made the righteousness of God and so he was made sin that evening um, in the garden of Gethsemane and being faced with that he instinctively withdraws from it remember he prays to the father father if there's any other way we can do this um, you know, all things are possible with you. However, not my will, but your will be done. And he prays that prayer in agony. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, and he, he says to his disciples, wait over here, I'm going to go pray. And he goes about a stone's throw away from them, and he, and he, he falls on his face and he prays to God. And uh, he takes Peter, James, and John with him um, to, to hopefully support him in prayer, but they, they fail dismally in that, and that they, they fall asleep while he's praying. He comes back after an hour, and he finds them sleeping. He wakes them up. He says, guys, you need to be praying with me. I'm, my soul is really taking strain here. He goes away. He prays a, another hour. He comes back. They're still sleeping. He goes away. He prays another hour. And by the end of it, he, he is physically... And, and mentally and spiritually, I would imagine, exhausted. 
uh, our Lord is really, I mean, the Bible talks about the fact that he sweated great big uh, drops of blood through the pores of his flesh. Um, the Bible says that, you know, when we resist sin, uh, if we, we think we're taking strain in resisting sin, we've not yet resisted to the shedding of blood. And our Lord Jesus, that, that evening, he resisted sinning against the Father by not doing the will of the Father. Uh, even to the point of, of great big drops of blood were shed through the pores of his skin. And so he's exhausted. He'd been fasting all this time, uh, leading up until this point. The Bible talks about the fact that when he goes to the cross, there is no fat on his body. His body has no fat at all uh, because all the fat belongs to God. Uh, that's part of the, the sacrificial uh, lamb. Um, and so he's really at the end of himself. And what God does in this time because now you must understand it's just before our, our father is about to forsake his son um, because the scripture talks about the fact that um, he became sin and when he became sin the Holy Spirit withdrew from him and he then was left all alone but just before that takes place God the father dispatches an angel to him and in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible talks about the fact, and then the angel appeared to him, the Lord Jesus, from heaven, strengthening him. And so the way that the angel strengthened our Lord Jesus that night in that garden is that the angel placed his hands upon our Lord and imparted his strength to him. And... Um, you say, all right, now where do you get that? Because the scripture actually doesn't say that. Well, now let's go have a look at, at an, an account in, in the scripture where an angel of the Lord, in fact, did impart strength to another individual, a human individual in this case. And don't forget, our Lord was a human, for he walked as the Son of Man. Um, and in this instance, we, we will have a look at how the angel, in fact, did this. And uh, the angel that we're looking at is, is Gabriel, in fact. And uh, we're picking up the scripture in Daniel chapter 10, beginning at verse 16. And Daniel has been um, confronted by an angel, by Gabriel. He's, he's seen a vision, and this vision is extremely powerful. But let's just pick up the account of scripture, and then I'll comment on it. Beginning at verse 16, the scripture says, And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips, Speaking about the angel, this is Daniel's recount of his vision. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And so he has a very vivid account. Daniel, because of the power of the vision that he's encountered, uh, is completely slain in the spirit and he retains no physical strength. And he tells this angel, he says, yeah, I can hardly even breathe because of the, the, the glory of, of this, this, this vision that I'm encountering. And so the angel 
in it, and it is Gabriel, if you read the account, he puts out his hand and he touches Daniel and he speaks to Daniel and says, be strengthened. And when he does that, this, the strength is, is imparted from uh, Gabriel's hands into Daniel and Daniel receives strength from that angel. And so that's exactly what happened when our Lord was in the Garden of Gethsemane, in that when he needed strength, God the Father sent his angel to physically lay hands on the Lord and impart strength to the Lord, um, leading up to his time when he was going to go to um, the cross uh, on, the, on, on Golgotha. And so the Lord, his angels use the same method to impart and to transfer the power of God. They do it through the laying on of hands. Not always the case, but there are cases, and we've read two accounts in Scripture where they do it. And so as they do, so do we. We are used by the Lord. We use our hands to impart the anointing uh, through our hands um, in order for people to be uh, blessed by the Lord. And we, we pick up an, uh, another account where the transference of the anointing takes place through the hands. And we'll have a look at uh, the ministry of Paul um, and how he operated in this particular ministry of laying on of hands and how the transference of the power went out of his hands into individuals in order to affect healings, etc. And we'll pick up two scriptures in Acts chapter 28 and we're going to look at also Acts chapter, chapter 19. Um, and we're going to see exactly how it is that Paul uh, operated in this ministry gift of the laying on hands. In Acts chapter 28, uh, reading at verse 8, the scripture says, And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. And so this was after Paul and uh, his uh, Colleagues and, and that whole shipload had wrecked um, on the island of Malta, and they were on the island of Malta. And uh, this particular um, Roman, um, um, I don't know, centurion it wasn't a centurion, but it, it, some some dignitary on the island um, had put them up. And this particular uh, chap's father was sick with a fever; he had dysentery, and. What happened was Paul went in, Paul prayed for him, Paul laid hands on him and healed him. And so the anointing that was in Paul's hands transferred into this man's body and healed him. And we, we understand that that's exactly what transpired because if we go and look at Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, we see um, where uh, Paul was used of the Lord in, a, in a, uh, an extraordinary way. The Bible talks about the fact that um, special special miracles were, were wrought through the hands of Paul. And then it explains the unusual miracles that took place through Paul's ministry. Um, the scripture says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. By the hands of Paul, don't forget. Verse 12, So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And so what Paul would do here in instances, because you must understand that um, there were, the, the mode of transport in those days were walking by far. Most everybody nearly walked. There were people that went on horseback and some in litters and some in chariots, but they were the, the wealthy. But the, the vast majority of people uh, went from one town to another by walking. 
And so getting around was just not the easiest thing in the world. And so when Paul was in Ephesus and he was ministering, word got out that uh, he was an apostle of the Lord who was used of God for healing. And people who who were very sick couldn't get to where Paul was in order to be prayed for so that he could uh, lay hands on them and heal them. Um, so what Paul did because by the leading of the Holy Spirit is that Paul would call for cloths and, and, and handkerchiefs to be given to him. And what he would do is he would lay his hands on those cloths and on those handkerchiefs and he would pray over them. And the anointing, the healing anointing would flow from his hands into those cloths. And what would happen is that the people would then take those cloths back to the towns where the, where the people were sick and they would lay those cloths on those individuals. And if those individuals had the faith to receive from God, and most of them did, um, what would happen is that anointing that was stored in those cloths would then be released out of those cloths into their bodies and their bodies would be healed or whatever plague it was that was was. Um, um, hindering them and whatever was causing their sickness to take place in their bodies. but So the cloth was almost like a, a battery, so to speak. Paul would charge the battery on his side uh, through the laying on of hands. They would carry that battery to the individual and the charge inside that battery would then be discharged into their physical bodies when it touched their physical bodies by faith. And the anointing would flow out of that cloth into their physical bodies. And you will recall when our Lord walked in, 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 uh, in his earthly ministry that people sought to touch the hem of his garment. People sought just to touch his clothes because his clothes were saturated with the anointing. The power of God was, was that strong on him that it even uh, saturated his clothes so that anybody in, in faith who touched his clothes uh, released that power into their bodies and that power f- flowed out of his clothes into their bodies. Same manner, it worked through Paul's ministry as well. It just that this was slightly different in that these, these cloths would be transported from one town to another town over a couple of days, maybe even two, three, four days, depending on how long it took the individual to get uh, to Paul in Ephesus and then getting back to wherever it was that they came from. But the anointing still remained in that cloth, so much so that when it was then put on that individual, that anointing flowed out of that cloth into that individual. You recall, we had a look at the account of Elisha's bones. Recall, it was years later that the anointing was still residing inside Elisha's bones after he had died and his body had decayed there was just dry bones there but when that dead man's body touched those bones immediately that anointing flowed out of those bones into his body and revived him and he came back to life and so there is a definite transference of anointing that takes place through physical contact um, through the laying on of hands and uh, as we just saw in Paul's instance, he's initially, he would lay hands on individuals and the power would flow out of his hands into the individuals to heal them. But he would also lay hands on um, cloths uh, and that anointing would flow out of his hands into those cloths. And days later, out of the cloths, into the body and the bodies would be healed. And so it, uh, there's no doubt that that's exactly what takes place, place when we lay hands. But it all has to be done in faith and we've discussed that already that uh, all of this takes place by faith. Nothing happens if there is no faith involved. And now another section we want to have a look at uh, today is that the greater anointings have greater results. 
and we're, we're dealing all in the area of the laying on of hands. Um, and I, I mentioned earlier in, in, in previous teaching along this line is that the laying on of hands is very much um, the, the, the ministry of operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I, I mentioned about the fact that even the prophetic ministry very often operates through the laying on of hands. And we're now going to have a look at the fact that there are greater anointings on individuals for certain giftings. Um, and the one who has the greater anointing will get the greater result. Greater re anointing equals greater result. Um, let's have a look at two scriptures along the line, and then I'm going to comment on it. John chapter 3 is the first scripture we want to look at. Um, and Ephesians chapter 4 is the second scripture we want to look at. And in John chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse 34 firstly. And the scripture says, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. And here we see John the Baptist uh, commenting on our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying that he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, referring to our Lord Jesus, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. And so John the Baptist is inferring uh, in this passage of Scripture that our Lord Jesus walked the earth without any, uh, with the full measure of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God upon him. And that's exactly the case. If you study the life of our Lord Jesus, uh, he had every gift of the Holy Spirit operating through his ministry. Um, even you should think of the, the five-fold ministry um, of pro apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Uh, if you study scripture, you'll see our Lord Jesus stood in each one of those offices. And so he had every single manifestation of the gift of the Holy Spirit trans uh, flowing through him. He was fully anointed by God, uh, God the Father. There was no, um, the scripture says, that the Spirit was not given to him by measure because he spoke the word of God. But that's not the case with regards to the believer in the church. Uh, the believer in the church, um, we have the same Holy Spirit residing on the inside of us, but we do not carry the same degree of anointing that our Lord Jesus carried upon his life. In fact, we do not carry the same degree of anointing upon ourselves as our brothers and sisters carry upon their lives. For each one of us have received a different degree of anointing of the Holy Spirit for the ministry gift that the Lord has given to each one of us. For each one of us have received at least one gift from the Lord, and we minister that gift to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and obviously to, to the world as well, as we're led of the Holy Spirit, th primarily through the laying on of hands. And so we look at Ephesians chapter 4, read, reading at verse 7, and the scripture says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of, of Christ, Christ's gift. And so each one of us, grace has been given. Um, for each one of us have received a gift, and we don't want to get into that side of the teaching today because we're not teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But uh, Scripture is very plain about the fact that every single member of the body of Christ have received at least one gift in from the Lord. And we, when we receive our gift from the Lord, according to the measure of the gift that we've received from God, we receive that measure of grace that goes along with it. Uh, the measure of grace is the anointing of God that is imparted to us in order for us to operate in the particular gifting that the Lord has given unto us. 
and just to give you a, a bit of a contrast on, on who would require the greater degree of anointing and compare one, one member of the body of Christ to another member of the body of Christ. One who is called as an apostle uh, would have a greater degree of the anointing upon his ministry gift than one who was given the gift of prophecy for argument's sake. So one who's given the gift of prophecy um, is anointed of the Holy Spirit to speak in, in out that particular uh, gift in, when, in, a, in a church gathering. And not always does that gift ma- is, is made manifest through the individual. But that is that individual's gift, and that is the anointing that, that manifests uh, himself, the Holy Spirit's anointing manifests himself through that individual, through the simple gift of prophecy. And that is the, the degree of anointing that that individual carries. However, one who is called as an apostle requires far more uh, of, an, of the power of God to flow through their lives. For they are called to uh, establish churches. They are called to, to heal the sick. They are called uh, to do numerous things in the body of Christ, including prophesy. Um, and if you study the gift of the apostle, you will see that uh, all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit normally manifest themselves through the ministry gift of the apostle. And so I'm just contrasting the two uh, giftings, two individuals, one called as an apostle, one called to prophesy in the church. And so they they, they both carry a a degree of anointing, but one carries a a much um, more powerful degree of anointing because he needs that. The apostle needs more anointing to be able to accomplish that which the Lord has called him to do than the one who has been given the gift of prophecy. I, 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 I'm trying to make it as simple as possible, but I think you kind of understand the concept that there are greater degrees of anointing upon individual lives depending on the gift that is given to that particular individual. Um, and so I want to just look at an illustration in scripture so that we have a clearer understanding of just how this actually does work in the practical sense because we have already looked at previously that the laying on of hands is an act of faith and every single believer can lay hands on anybody else in faith in order for them to receive from God whatever it is that they're seeking from the Lord that is our mandate as well. We can do it, okay? But some individuals are more anointed of God to operate in certain areas. And if we learn what our gifting is, specifically what we have received, we understand what anointing we have on our lives, and we can then function um, more freely um, and more liberty and, and, and see greater results. We'll see um, not only greater results, but, but uh, more immediate results taking place through our lives if we walk in the gifting that the Lord has given to each one of us and not try and operate in another man's gifting. Um, because you can't. You can't operate in the gifting. You can, by faith, lay hands on another person in, in another area and trust that God will meet that. And sometimes the, if the faith levels are at the right level on both sides, God then uh, will obviously um, honor that and, and God's power will be imparted. But primarily God expects us to operate within the giftings that he's given to us and be used in that area. So let's have a look at the uh, scripture along the line. We're going back to Acts chapter 8 and I'm going to pick up the account in verse 5. Um, 
and I'll read on it, read their scripture, and then we'll, we'll comment on it. Um, scripture says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And then skipping down to verse 14, the scripture says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, speaking of Peter and John, and they received the Holy Spirit. And so here we see an account of Philip being used of the Lord to go down to the city of Samaria. What had happened was the, the church uh, in Jerusalem, persecution had broken out against the church when Stephen was martyred. And Paul was one of the main instigators of that persecution. And um, the church was scattered throughout Judea. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the majority of the church was scattered throughout Judea. And Philip was one of those who were scattered. And Philip goes down to the city of Samaria, and he preaches the gospel to them. Not only does he preach the gospel to them, but he also ministers to them through the laying of hands. For we read in verse 7, For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And so Philip gets a whole lot of people saved. The Bible talks about the fact that these were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they're saved and they're, they're set free and delivered from demonic depression, a lot of them. And a lot of those who were lame and, and paralyzed are healed under Paul and under um, Philip's ministry. But we see something lacking here. For the scripture plainly tells us that none of them had yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, Philip was baptized with the Holy Spirit because he had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when he got saved in Jerusalem. Um, but Philip doesn't lay hands on his converts in the city of Samaria in order for them to receive the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a reason why he doesn't do that, because he's laid hands on them in order for them to be healed, and he's laid hands on them in order for them to be delivered from a demonic uh, possession, demonic oppression. But he hasn't laid hands on them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why doesn't he do that? He's got everybody saved, and everybody's been baptized in water. We know that uh, Philip was a stickler for getting people baptized in water because he wouldn't allow the, the eunuch uh, on his way down to Ethiopia to uh, be baptized until he had accepted Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so everybody's baptized in water. Multitudes are healed, but none are filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that? The reason is because Philip recognizes that that is not his gifting. He hasn't received that particular anointing from the Lord. He knows he's gifting, he's gifted of the Lord to lay hands on those who are paralyzed and lame, and he does that, and he receives many results taking place. He also knows that he's, he's anointed of the Lord to cast out demons, and he does that, and he sees many results taking place. But he, there, a multitude of people have been saved. We're not talking about one or two individuals. We're not even talking about 10 individuals. We're talking about a whole multitude. And so Philip recognizes that for him to now go lay hands individually on each one in faith, 
in order for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit is going to take a long time and it's not going to be as uh, nearly as effective as if he can get hold of somebody who is anointed in that particular area as he was anointed in order to lay hands on people who were lame and paralyzed and demon possessed and he did that so he sends to the church in Jerusalem and they in turn send two specific apostles down to him Peter and John those two apostles the Bible talks about when they come down the scripture says in verse 17 then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit so Peter and John come down for one specific task when they come down to the city of Samaria, and that is to lay hands on the believers that they might receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because Peter and John are anointed of the Lord in this particular gifting. That is the anointing. Philip knows that, which is why he calls, well, he, he might not have specifically called for Peter and John. He sends for help to this church in Jerusalem. They in turn send Peter and John down because the church in Jerusalem recognized Peter and John are anointed in this area. God uses them in this particular gifting. Well, for it is a gifting to lay hands on individuals that they might receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so they come down, and they, everybody that they lay hands on receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a very effective tool when we know what our calling is, what our anointing is, what our gifting is, because we can then um, use that gifting uh, to a greater degree of effectiveness than simply laying hands on individuals in faith because greater anointings always has greater degree of results and so Philip recognizes this Philip recognizes that he is, doesn't can't do it all uh, the body of Christ is a body a hand cannot do what a, a foot can do uh, we've discussed this already um, and so let the hand operate as the hand and the foot when it needs a hand call for a hand to come and help the foot don't try and let the foot do what the hand can do naturally so to speak and so we need to also recognize in each other what giftings our brothers and sisters in Christ have so that when we are confronted with a situation like Philip was we can know I can call on Peter and John to come down and give me a hand here because give me a hand lay your hands okay Call down Peter and John and their gifting operating in this situation is going to be far more effective than me trying to do it all on my own because I don't have that particular anointing upon my life. And let's have a look at a, a, verse, a, a passage of scripture to, to just reinforce the fact that uh, the body of Christ is a body and not all of us have every single gift operating through our our ministries and the, the scripture I want to look at is in Romans chapter 12 and we'll pick it up in verse 3 Paul is teaching the church in Rome on this particular line he says for I say through the grace given to me and Paul is straight away saying guys I've got this particular grace given to me I can say this to you because this grace has been given to me through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you so this is everyone this is not a uh, chosen few he's speaking to every single believer in the body of Christ to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as God as God has dealt to each one there we go each one again a measure of faith for as we have many members in one body but all the members do not have the same function 
so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so Paul says, don't try to think you can do it all, because you can't. Um, you're not anointed with every gift as our Lord Jesus Christ was anointed with every gift. You're anointed with specific gifts given to you by God the Father, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Recognize what gift in the Lord has given you and then begin to operate in that gift in faith. And you'll find when you know what your gifting is and you learn how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in um, ministering your gift, that you'll see great results taking place through your gift. And what will happen is that the rest of the body of Christ will also recognize, okay, this particular individual is anointed of God in this way. And so when I need help in this area, I know who to call. I will call that particular individual because that individual has a, 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 a greater chance of having success than just me in faith praying for so, so and so. I'd rather call this person to come down and help me um, and lay hands on this individual for whatever it is that the person's requiring. And so it's very important for each one of us have received a specific gift. Some of us obviously have received more than one gift, depending on the, remember again, I, I contrad the, the apostle ministry with one who's been given a gift of, of prophecy. And so, yes, some do have more giftings than others, but to whom more is given, more is required. It's a greater degree of responsibility that goes with that. But nevertheless, each one of us have received at least one gift from the Lord. And it's important for us to recognize what our gifting is. And then also, um, and we've discussed it in previous teachings, important for us to recognize how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the ministering of that gift. We looked at it uh, a couple of teachings ago that even though one is called uh, to prophesy and another one's called to prophesy, both minister those gifts of prophecy in different ways as they're led by the Holy Spirit. And so it's also very important for us to recognize just how it is that the Holy Spirit wants us to minister our giftings to the body of Christ and also to those outside the body of Christ when and if we're led by the Lord to do so. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to wrap up on, on this particular section because we've now looked at what the laying on, on of hands is really all about. Um, and we're going f further in these teachings on the laying on of hands, this particular doctrine. We're going to have a look at um, the fact that our Lord has called us to lay hands on unbelievers. Lord, our Lord's also called us to lay hands on believers. We're going to look at a, a couple of issues, but I just want to wrap up what we've looked at so far with regards to what is the laying of hands. And we've seen that the laying of hands is a practical doctrine. It is a doctrine of, of putting in, into practice that which we learn in theory, because it's no good learning all about the laying of hands and then never going out and laying hands on anybody. You need to be um, recognizing, finding out from the Lord what your gifting is. And then being, saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, you've anointed me in this area. Teach me how to minister this gift through the laying on of hands to whomever you want me to minister my gift to. Because uh, we will be held to account one day before the Lord with regards to our gifting. So it's a practical uh, doctrine, the laying on of hands. We saw that our Lord Jesus was the ultimate example. And in anything, we always look back to the Lord Jesus, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. Um, and because he is our older brother, he is, he is the way. He said, I am, I am the way, uh, the truth and the life. Um, when he said, I'm the way, 
that means that he is the way. He, he showed us how to do it, and we need to follow his example. Um, we saw that laying on hands is one of the ways that God uses in order to impart his power and transfer his anointing from one individual to another. It's not the only way, but it is one of the ways. And I've emphasized the fact that we do need to find out what our gift is um, and then walk in that. And then we also looked earlier on in the, on the fact that it is possible for us to increase the anointing upon our lives or decrease it, depending on our lifestyle, depending on how much time we give, us, give ourselves to prayer, uh, to the study of the, of the Word of God, spending time in fellowship with, with the Lord. And that has the effect of increasing the anointing. So that particular gifting that you have in your life will operate even to even a greater degree. Uh, the more in closer fellowship you are with the Lord um, than if you are not walking in fellowship with God, even though you might be anointed in a specific area. And we're going to end the teaching on that particular point for today.